Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father Almighty God, we thank you for your kindness, your grace and your favor. We thank you for all that you have done thus far. And we pray, Father, tonight that as we spend time in your presence, we ask, O oh Lord, that in your kindness, your mercy, and your grace, that your word does what you have determined it to do. We yield totally to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge him as our teacher and as our guide, and we pray he guides the words, the thoughts, and the expressions. Father Almighty God, for those believing you for a miracle, we pause at this point in time to declare that, Father, we join our faith with theirs and we present their matter to you standing upon the word of agreement. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you intervene in their matters through today. We ask that you intervene outside of today. And we ask, Father, that you intervene until that matter is sorted. My Father and my God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for all that you will do and all that you have done. In Jesus' most holy name, we have prayed. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, as, as we begin tonight, we ask, we, we're really grateful to God. And so tonight, what we're doing is we've got two subjects to cover as we look very clearly as how God takes us into a new season. Without a doubt, that is what the Lord is setting us up to do. Um, listening to all the things that are coming from the pulpit, Sunday was absolutely amazing. Speaking about prayer and also the fact that prayer is open to all of us. And it's something that we all should do. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we realize that God is doing and saying something to us all. And so tonight we have we're going to take um, our reading and we're going to look at two elements of how God brings us into the new, two things that we need to focus on. And we're going to take our reading, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take our reading from 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. And I will start reading. I'll Actually, I'll read it from the King James Version of the Bible um, tonight. I might use others as we go on, but that's absolutely fine. The Bible says the following, 2 Kings 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Now, ladies and Samaria, ladies and gentlemen, let me pause for a moment and let me explain where we are. Israel has been besieged by a Syrian king, and the, the siege is horrendous. They have been literally living on little things. They have been killing their children to survive. It's an ugly, ugly siege. Elisha has been asked, what do they do? And he brings the word of the Lord into a very difficult situation. And ladies and gentlemen, as we go on, I, I pray that if you are in a really difficult situation, my heart goes out to you. But we also pray that the word of the Lord that you will hear will provide the way out that God has promised. And so that's where we are. So Elisha has been called to the king and he's giving the king a prophecy and the story then begins to unfold. And so I'll start again. Second Kings chapter seven, verse one. Then Elisha said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, behold, thou, and this is Elisha responding. And he said, behold, 
thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt shall not eat thereof. That means you will see it, but you're not going to taste of it. Verse three, and this is our focus for tonight. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again, and came into another tent, and carried thence also, and went and hid it. Then said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told him, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither the neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied and tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore, are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and, shall, and get into the city. And one of the servants answered and said, let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of Israelites that are consumed. Let us send and see. They took, therefore, two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan. And lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king, and the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. And the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. And it came to pass, as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And that Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. Verse 20. And so it fell out unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight what we're doing is, this is a, an amazing story. And let me say this early, let me say this now, for those who um, are going through a really difficult time. May God deliver you the same way he delivered the Israelites. May the word of God come into your world and deliver you. May that which you are afraid of, by the time you get there, may they not be there. And I honestly pray that God is kind to you. So we, we, we honestly pray that God delivers you. But there are two things we want to look at tonight. 
And the reason I said so is that there are two things that we want to look at, and both of them are in this story. And so the first thing we want to look at, and this is how God brings in the new. This is an amazing story. But I want you to notice the first thing we want to look at, ladies and gentlemen, is when God wants to bring the new into your life, he will create a restlessness that says where I am is no longer suitable. There will be a restlessness, a hope, a desire that no, something has to change. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I I I want I, I want you to keep this in mind. I honestly want you to keep this in mind. That and please keep this, please, please keep this in mind. When God wants to change your seasons, he will put a restlessness within you. And notice when the, the, the lepers were sitting at the, the gates of Samaria. And this is really, really important. And the Bible says the following. And there were four lepers, at, men at the entering of the gate. And they said to one another, why sit we here until we die? So ladies and gentlemen, a restlessness came upon them. It was like, there's no point us staying here and not eating, not going into the city. How bad could it be? They said, if we go to the Syrians, you know what? We're already dying anyway. If we go into the city, we're going to die. But there's a restlessness that moved them into action. And it was that action that was the key to their deliverance. So ladies and gentlemen, I want you to realize if you are feeling restless or you've got to a point where you sense in your spirit that this journey I am on has to come to a turning point, that this journey has to change, something about my situation has to shift forward. Now notice, where did the restlessness come from? They didn't know, but there was a word spoken by Elisha that was moving in the spiritual realm. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a word over our life that is moving the pieces, the chess pieces of our lives. And that word is that God is about to do and he's about to demonstrate and take us into something new. So this is what I want you to hold on to. So let's have a look at that restlessness. Let's see where it else it is in the Bible. And then as we go on, you'll realize I want you to embrace that desire that says, no, God has to be true in this matter, because this is how God moves people from one place to another. And the restlessness will be internal and the actions will be external now so let's have a look turn with me let's have a look um let's go through three or four really quickly and then we will go to a definitive one turning your bibles please ladies and gentlemen to the book of daniel daniel chapter 9 verses 1 to 3 you see the restlessness is never based on nothing it's not that um, I've just had enough. I'm, I'm not going to. No, no. The restlessness you feel, that sense that something is about to change is always based on something God has decided to do. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in Daniel chapter nine, we're going to read from verses one to three. The Bible says the following. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Verse three, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Verse four, and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping covenant and mercy to them that love him and them that keep his commandments. And then Daniel lays out his case before God. By the time he finishes praying 
an angel shows up and the beginning of Israel's return from Babylon has started. So notice the restlessness that you may feel that your season or your circumstances are done more than likely will be born because the Lord will cause the word of God to come alive. For Daniel, he caused him to understand that in Jeremiah, the prophet that he had promised, he said, listen, after 70 years, let the land do 70 years of rest which is the number of Sabbaths that you haven't let it rest, by the time that is done, I will come and get you. That's where when we find that story in Jeremiah 29, and you can read it, read it from verses 1 all the way down to verse 13. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand. So all of a sudden, Daniel, whose life was not a nightmare, by now he had been in Persia for 70 years. He came as a teenager. Now he was easily over 85. And he realizes that, wait, this situation or circumstance that I am going through isn't permanent. And notice what he does. He goes to God in the place of prayer, asking for mercy. He fasts and he confesses the sins of his people, knowing that we are the cause that got us here. So ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to realize is notice, the Lord caused Daniel to become restless by revelation. So he opened up a scripture to him. In the very same way, God will open up a scripture to you so that you will see a tomorrow. Please keep this in mind, that is better than the today you are experiencing. And that restlessness will be the bridge between where you are and where you're going. Let's have a look at two or three other examples because we've got a lot to go through tonight. Come with me, please, to the book of Esther. Um, the book of Ruth, not the book of Esther. Uh, the book of Ruth. And we are going to look at, yes, Ruth chapter three. And I'm going to read from verse one. Ruth and Naomi have come back to Bethlehem. They are, you know, they're eking out a living. They have found a benefactor. Boaz has been really kind to them. But listen to verse one. They've been there now through three harvests. Things have gone well. Boaz has literally surrounded them and they are beginning to rebuild their lives. But there comes a point where, ladies and gentlemen, you have to move from to survival into flourishing and it will always come by a decision listen to what naomi says to ruth the bible says then naomi her mother-in-law speaking to ruth said unto her my daughter shall i not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee verse two and now is not boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he winnoweth the barley tonight in the threshing floor. Verse three, wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he have done eating and drinking. Verse four, and it shall be when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay down there. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Verse five, and Ruth says to her, and she said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Notice they have already had a miraculous return to Bethlehem. They've now found a way to survive. They are literally, they're not starving anymore. They've got home. The, the surprise of their return has passed away. That's done. But now Naomi gets restless because she realizes that, listen, there's something more God needs to do on your behalf. And she says, by understanding of the traditions that and the, the what the Bible speaks about um, about the law of the near kinsman, she said, let me seek rest for you so that even when I'm gone, you will be okay. 
because there's a law that says a near kinsman will raise up children to a dead brother or husband so that the line of that person doesn't die out. And Boaz was that person. Now, notice the restlessness that was in Naomi. She passes across to Ruth. How? In advice and a picture of a tomorrow that is better than there today. She said that, listen, there's something more. And let me speak prophetically over somebody's life, because I know I'm speaking to someone. There is a desire within you that says there is something more, a desire, a hope, a picture. And ladies and gentlemen, hear me really well. Turn in your Bible, please. This is what we call an audible, where the Holy Spirit just wants to bless someone. Psalms 37. And I'm going to read verse 4. Psalms 37. I'm going to read verse 4. And the Bible says the following. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. Listen to me very carefully. I want you to please understand, ladies and gentlemen, that when God wants to move you into a better tomorrow, he will stir your heart up so that you have a desire for something better. You have a desire for something bigger. You have what we call a secret petition. That means something that only you and God know, that God let it be like this. Listen to me very carefully. That desire, that hope, that restlessness is not to make you uncomfortable. It is to move you from one season to the next. And ladies and gentlemen, unless I am wrong, I'm sure there are lots of us that have got to a point where it's like, Lord, where I am is too small. Where I am, I'm uncomfortable. Lord, I know there is a tomorrow that you have planned for me. And the Bible says very clearly that that restlessness is the key for change in your life. It's an indication that God says the seasons are about to change. Um, let me go on to a couple more and then we will we'll define it. Let me go. Let me do one more. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Mark 10. And we're going to pick up the narrative at verse 50. But I'll read from 46 to 52, but verse 50 is our key verse. The Bible says, and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, this is Jesus, with his disciples, a great number and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him, saying that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. Verse 50. And he casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said to him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Ladies and gentlemen, notice Bartimaeus realized there's not going to be another day like this. Something has to shift. So there was a restlessness in that this situation that I am going through, it is going to end now. And he reaches out to Jesus. But the key I want you to focus on is verse 50. 
And verse 50 is really important because the Bible says, remember, he's blind. He's a beggar. And he has no idea how far away Jesus is. But he throws away his cloak in that this position that I am in, I am not coming back. This is all or nothing healed or nothing his confidence in the fact that if i can just get jesus's attention god's mercy over my life will be sufficient to change my position because right now i am done listen to me very carefully ladies and gentlemen please it's this is the kind of restlessness we're talking about what caused bartimaeus's rest restlessness he had heard what Jesus had done previously. So when he realized that, wait, this Jesus is now in my vicinity, he said, oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And so, ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to understand is this. He cries out for mercy, but he's so confident. Once they say Jesus had stood still, he said, I'm never coming back here again. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say this. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but you're coming into a season that the next attempt at whatever you're doing will be successful. And you will be able to say with confidence, I am never coming back to this situation again. Not because I just want to say it, but because I now trust the almighty God, that I'm never coming back. This situation I am confronting, this is the last time. Now that restlessness is born from what? From the faithfulness and the confidence and the testimony of the living God. So we realize when God makes you restless, he doesn't make you restless based upon nothing. He makes you restless based upon his ability the success of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the success of the word of God in your life, the power of the Holy Ghost, what you begin to realize. But God says it is time to move. And so, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to let's go to a wrap up verse and then we'll go from there. Kindly turn with me to the book of Joel, chapter two, Joel, chapter two. And we are going to look at two verses, verses 28 and 29. And this is how the prophet prophesied that God will make you restless. When he will cause that, he will, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will make you restless. Why? Because he will show you things to come. So we're going to put two scriptures together. Joel chapter two, verses 28 and 29. And John chapter 13, verse 15. Okay, John chapter 13, verse 15. John 16, verse 15, not 13. John 16, verse 15. And we're going to look at Joel 2, 28 and 29. Let's look at, the, at those two and then we'll close this point out. The Bible says the following. This is what Joel prophesies about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the following. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Verse 29, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Notice. God said, when my spirit comes upon you, I will make, now let me put this carefully. I will cause you to see a tomorrow as I see your tomorrow. Prophecy is where a man says, this is what the Lord is saying about a circumstance. That is the work of a prophet. He speaks what he hears and sees from the Lord. He 
prophesies, he foretells or foretells what is invisible. That then gives the people that hear him a picture of tomorrow that says where I am is over, but this is where I am going. The second thing I want you to notice, ladies and gentlemen, the second thing I want you to notice is this. The Bible says your old men shall dream dreams. A dream is in many senses, as long as you are not having a nightmare. But when God gives you a dream or a picture of tomorrow, he gives you a picture of tomorrow based on his ability, his person, his intentions. So all of a sudden you see a tomorrow that is undoubtedly better than today. Finally, the Bible says, your young men shall see visions. Now, a vision is a picture. And the Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, that where there is no vision, the people shall perish. But happy is he that keepeth the law. What is a vision? A vision is God's redemptive picture of what tomorrow will look like. Those three things will invariably cause you to become dissatisfied with where you are and you will become desirous of where you can go. I'll give you an example. It's like when you take a good look at an advert and the advert says, the let's assume you're driving a car that's version one and they say version seven of that car, which is now available and you have the money to buy can do A, B, C, D, E. You realize all of a sudden your car version one now no longer satisfies you because you want it to do A, B, C, D, E. So what we realize is when the Holy Ghost comes, he shows you a picture of tomorrow that when you believe and you go after, God will cause to come to pass. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 16. This is the last scripture we're going to look at on this, in this particular section because we're looking at two points tonight. John chapter 16, and we're going to have a look at verse 15. Jesus speaking about, um, I'll read it from 13, John 16, verse 13, and I'll stop at verse, actually, I'll just read verse 13, John 16, verse 13. Jesus speaking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Key verse. And he will show you things to come. That means, ladies and gentlemen, God will show you the truth of where you are and what you're going through. You see, the picture of where you are and what you are going through without God is what the devil wants to sell to you. That means, no, you will never get pregnant. No, you will never get married. No, you will never break through. No, you will never get employed. No, they will never acknowledge you. What he's trying to sell to you is that, no, you will never get better. Listen to me very carefully. He's trying to sell to you a picture where God is not. But when the Holy Ghost comes and shows you this is what the tomorrow that God has. So he says, if you are ill, you plus me will equate to you being healed. If he says that you are single and you are not called to be single, then you plus me, God, I am the God that will place the solitary into families then a family is going to be the outcome, irrespective of your circumstances. So if you feel, if when God says, listen, I will cause favor, you plus me, and my favor will cause men to choose, employ, and select you where others have rejected you. What am I talking about? I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen, that when the Holy Ghost begins to show you a tomorrow that includes the God you serve, it will make you dissatisfied with where you are because God wants to take you from where you are 
into a new season. Have I made my point? So this is really key. So ladies and gentlemen, the restlessness that you feel about where you are, the hopes and the expectations that you have about tomorrow that God has said you and I together, nothing is going to be impossible. I want you to go with that feeling, knowing that God wants to move you from where you are to where he wants you to be. So what does he do when he wants to move you? He makes you restless. He gives you a picture. He gives you a picture of tomorrow that is better than today and that produces the journey that takes you into tomorrow. Okay? So that's that point. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how God points you to tomorrow. Now, what we're going to do now is we're going to switch to the second element of that. And the second element of tonight is this. The, and if you listen, and let's go back to 2 Kings 7. And if we, if we don't finish this point tonight, which is absolutely fine, we will continue next week and we'll wrap it up then but come with me to second Kings seven second kings chapter seven which was our base story so we realize the first thing we see about the lepers is they get restless and then notice they confronted what scared them the most you see for lepers they were not allowed into the city because of their disease. If they did go into the city, they would stone them to death. They were afraid of the Syrians, who if they stormed the city, these lepers were outside the city gates. They would be killed first. So they were terrified. So literally, was fear on one side and fear on the other side. Now, what I want you to understand is this. When God shows you your tomorrow, listen to me very carefully, please. It will first and foremost scare you. Meaning you will have to confront what scares you now to step into what God has promised for you. And I'm going to show you that in the Bible. So ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to realize is what scares you the most is hiding the largest miracle that God wants to do in your life. The thing that scares you the most, the thing that gives you the greatest trepidation, the thing that literally scares you whereby it's like god huh there's no way not again hear me well that particular thing is hiding the greatest season of your life let's see whether the bible agrees with us and then we can go from there come with me to and I, i'm actually i'm gonna take my time here because many times we don't go into the new because we are afraid. And we'll come to that in a minute. But let's see whether the Bible says this. Turn with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. And I'm going to read from verses 10 to 13. And this is where Abraham has come to the king Abimelech. And for the second time, that is recorded in the scripture, he is said to a king that he is afraid of, this woman who is beautiful is not my wife, she's my sister. This time, God gets involved. He tells Abimelech that, listen, you are a dead man. You have, because you have taken this man's wife and he is a prophet. So to fix your matter, call him and he will pray for you. Meaning he will speak the words of God over your life and you will live. Don't do that. And you and yours will die without a doubt. Abimelech wakes up in the morning and calls all his people. And we pick up the narrative from 10. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, 
What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? Verse 11. And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Verse 13. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, this is thy kindness, which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. Pause. You realize fear has distorted Abraham's picture of tomorrow. Anywhere they went, because he was afraid of dying, he convinces his wife, say that I am your brother. Abimelech forces him to confront that fear. And you know what? For somebody's sake, I'm going to read to the end of this chapter. So I'm going to pick up the narrative from verse 14. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him, Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleases thee. And unto Sarah, he said, Behold, I've given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. Verse 17. So Abraham prayed unto God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Notice, when Abraham confronts what he is afraid of, a level of ministry kicks in that he has not been able to touch thus far. And he causes to happen in somebody else's life what he has been asking God to shape in his Come with me to the next chapter. Come with me to 21 verses 1 and 2. And I'm reading this for somebody. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Notice. Ladies and gentlemen, this would not have happened if Abraham had not confronted what scared him the most. And the Bible says very clearly that what he caused to happen to somebody else, God caused to happen to him. And so, ladies and gentlemen, stay with me. Let's go through two more. Come with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 30. And I'm going to read from verses 1 to 6. Again, so, ladies and gentlemen, whosoever out there is believing God for children, before I move on, let me say this loud. May you confront what you are afraid of. May you hold on through whatever comes against you. May the fear of intimacy, the fear of a period, the fear of a miscarriage, the fear of barrenness, the fear of relatives, the fear of rejection, may it all be removed from you once and for all. May you step over into your new season. And may God do for you what he has promised. But you must confront what you are afraid of. We are coming to that in a moment. First Samuel chapter 30, reading from verses 1 to 6. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you also to, to please understand, 
I'm not going to rush this. So let's go. So we've sorted out Abraham. That was where he was afraid of something happening and it never happened. And it changed his life. Let's look at David's one. And the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 30, verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. Verse six, and this is key. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Now, this is the shouting part. The Bible then says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So let me just give you a brief history lesson. When Samuel came to David's daddy in 1 Samuel 16 and said to David's dad, let all your children pass before me because God said in your family, there is a king. They left David out. Rejection was normal concerning this kid. Because there was something about David. It's one of two things. The Bible presents us two clues. One of two things. One clue is in Psalm 139, where the Bible says, where David said, I was formed in iniquity in the deepest parts of the earth. Meaning there's a possibility he was the product of infidelity. On the other hand, there's a physical challenge. Because when David shows up, when Samuel refuses to go, the Bible records that David is ruddy, yet he is handsome. That means he had flaming hair. He was either ginger haired and he had coral eyes. He was either an albino. He looked different. There was something about David that made his father sufficiently embarrassed that when Samuel said, bring your children and we are going to pick a king, they left the man out. His dad rejected him. When he went to the battle in 1 Samuel 17, his brothers rejected him. When he came to Saul and was his armor bearer, Saul eventually became so afraid of David, Saul rejected him. By the time David brings back and this one happens after this season. He brings the Ark of the Covenant back. His wife rejects him. Listen to me very carefully. Rejection was David's worst nightmare. And now the 400 men that he has trained from nothing to the point that they had a city full of wealth have now said, you know what? It's better we stone this man. So what you begin to realize, ladies and gentlemen, David is now confronting his worst nightmare. These are people that have helped me. These are people that he has trained. These are people that he has shared his anointing with. These are people that he has helped out of a difficult season, and now they want to kill him. But the Bible says the following. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God, meaning God, if everybody else rejects me, you, O oh Lord, will not reject me. And so ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand, David confronts his most difficult season. He reaches to God 
and the rest of the story, which I will read for someone, is shouting material. The Bible says the following from verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Pause. Ladies and gentlemen, I have to pause here. Look at David's statement in verse 8. He didn't say to God, I am going after this troop. Bless me as I go. He said, shall I? Meaning, if God said, leave it, I will either get them back or I these ones, let's just call that a loss. We will move on and I will restore them to you. David was ready to go with God either way. Where he said, God, if you deliver me, great. If you don't deliver me, great. But my trust in you is untouchable. Ladies and gentlemen, all of a sudden, you realize he's standing in the confidence of the God that brought him there. And he's looking eyeball to eyeball at 400 600 killers who have all lost their families and he is the focus of their anger. There's a point where, ladies and gentlemen, you will have to walk with God alone and nothing else will move you. It's that, no, I trust God. What anybody else says does not matter. And so David asked God, shall I pursue? God responds. He said, pursue. And I say that over somebody's life. Pursue. For you shall surely overtake. Now listen very carefully. Then God says the following. He said, without fail, recover all. Verse 9. So David went and he and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Beso, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 abode behind, which were so faint they could not go over the brook Besto. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat. And they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. When he had eaten, his spirit came to him again, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom belongest thou and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belongs to Judah. And upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, can you bring me down to this company? And he said, swear unto me by God that thou would neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And David swears. Verse 16. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken out of the land of the Philistine and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men, which fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. I'll stop reading there. Ladies and gentlemen, please hear me well. On the other side of what scares you the most is a breakthrough miracle that will reshape the rest of your life. I'm not saying that you won't have to fight for it. 
I am not saying you will not have to be kind in the midst of great lack or challenge, but I am saying that if God gives you a promise, then that promise will not fall to the ground. The Bible records on the other side of what scared David the most was the turning miracle that changed his life forever. So will it be with someone listening to me tonight that as you pursue, as you reapply, as you try again, as you sow, as you train, as you take the exam, as you try for the child, hear me well. What you were afraid of will be turned around. You will not only pursue, but you will overtake and you will recover all. This is the promise that God had given David, but David had to confront what scared him the most. And then the Lord stepped in. Please hear me well, ladies and gentlemen. There is, let me, this, we will continue this next week. But let's also realize this happened to Jesus Christ. And that's where we started last. We'll start next week. Jesus had to confront what scared him the most. We'll talk about that next week. But let me say this now. Notice. Whenever you, let me, I want to say this now, just in case someone doesn't log on next week. The antidote to fear is always the presence, person, and power of God Almighty. Let me repeat that. The antidote to fear is always the presence, the person, or the power of the Almighty God. Closing scripture. Because just in case someone doesn't log on next week, let's wrap it up. Genesis 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward notice when god tells you not to be afraid of something he always hangs it on him i am present what you are confronting is not bigger than me and what you are confronting is not beyond me and ladies and gentlemen feel free to do a search wherever you see in the bible fear not do not be afraid. Fear, there's fear not. Do not be afraid. And I will not be afraid. Notice, without fail, the antidote to fear is the person, the presence, and the power of God. So, ladies and gentlemen, what am I encouraging you to do? If God has put the new on the other side of something that you are afraid of, trust him and go forward. You will realize what you are afraid of is afraid of God, and God will solve your matters. Ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of tonight. I really hope you've been blessed. I hope you've had a lot of fun, and I join my faith with anybody who's believing God with a miracle, for a miracle, and I pray that the Almighty God, in all his ramifications, will step into your matter and take apart what you are afraid of, cause to manifest his word. May God cause his dreams, hopes, and aspirations 
to become the foundations of the testimonies that you will hilariously share. May God in his infinite wisdom keep you and may this be a week that changes your life. May God make you restless and may God cause that restlessness that, to cause you to step in to the new. May God bless you and keep you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. God bless you.